I challenge you, if you're listening to this, to go off the beaten path because you're going to start hearing noise. That's the first step is start doing shit mm. that your inner circle and family would never think you to do and start to see what happens. Like, don't even start a business. Like, just go do something completely that is out of the norm where you are like, oh my God, if I go do this, my my parents are going to think of me differently. My this is my friends are going to be like, why would you do that? That's not your character. And start to see how you handle criticism. No, I agree, man. Like that's that's tight. That's tight. Like yo, you're if you don't get out of your bubble, man. Like that's it. Oh, getting out of your bubble. You got. That's the hardest part, by the way. It's the hardest part to accept yourself to be okay with getting out of the bubble and whatever is going to happen is going to happen. You know, you could lose people by getting out of the bubble. It doesn't have to do with business. Right? No. You said it could be going to meet a new friend, a new it, person that's completely opposite. People need to try things. I think that's your right. The first step the to making first greatness. Step. Just show Just everything. Just show everything. Everything. And that's, that's what we the did. Key word. And so people everything. really started getting interested. They're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. People are like, <laughs> what are you guys doing? I'm Jake the Rover. My life goal is simple, WWE star called Mr. America. My name is Leslie Carls. My nickname is The Panda, and I run this ship. Nick, just Nick. Can I get a midday squares? We are live. It is midday squares uncensored. We talk about family business, entrepreneurship, chocolate, and whatever fucks are on our mind. As we get into the show, everybody, as you know, middaysquares.com slash podcast questions, middaysquares.com slash podcast questions. So I just pulled you two, Jake and Les, yes, those are the the other two co-founders that I speak with on a weekly basis, out of a room. You were practicing for something. What were you practicing for? Oh, uh, yeah. So no, I, I just presented Leslie my, um, I have like a little speech um, slash like uplifting, you know, aspirational um, to aspire the Air Canada Rouge team. Um, they're a big airline here in Canada for those that don't know. Um, obviously, they had a lot of layoffs um, in the past couple of months and the spirits are just down. It's their wellness week and I'm here to fire them the fuck up. Oh, it's been a while since you've been with it. Uh, That's what you were made to do. Yeah, I was made to do it, but like still it's virtual, which is a little difficult, but it's always harder. um, We're going to have some fun with it. So I prepared a speech. I wrote it and then Leslie completely shredded the (laughs) delivery of it. Not, not because of the, what the content that was in it. It was just because she wanted me to just be like, fuck it, be Jake and do Jake. And that was it. So we just changed it and uh, no speech going straight in for the kill and uh, going to be myself. Yeah. I think that's when you thrive. Campaigning. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. literally when you thrive. Yeah. Okay. As you know, we've been starting. What book are you reading? What is Jay? So you've been crushing. You oh. did your first Ooh. book in one day. <laughs> Relentless Optimism was the day. The book I did in one day it was 232 pages. Holy smokes. From 9 p.m. on Friday till Saturday, 4 p.m., I finished the book. I was so violent. <laughs> Relentless aggressive. Optimism? Yeah, Relentless Optimism. But what's special about that book, and I, it's not about cheerleading, and this is the difference between what real optimism is and what people think optimism is. Optimism does not mean anything to do with cheerleading. Cheerleading's great. It's 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 something fun. It's not it's not sustainable for every single day. Optimism is how you take the negative scenario and turn it into a positive scenario. That's what real optimism means. Yeah, so, it's not just like artificial no, pretending like everything's always rosy. Because there's adversities that are going to come to every single optimistic person in the world. And if if you don't have adversities in your life, then something's wrong with you. I'm sorry, and not in a good way. So. He, this book basically talks about uh, a sports player in the MLB that came in confident, got drafted, and uh, thought he was, his whole career was going to be amazing at the Boston Red Sox, got cut, got hurt, 
10 years later, the guy is self-doubting himself, talking himself every game before a pitch. I can't hit this. I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even supposed to be. Should I quit? He has these voices. And what, Ooh, this what, is a good segue into the show. And then what his coach that he does, he, he gets cut to the double A team. Do you know what that is? Yeah. Double A? He goes from the MLB not even AAA, to right? AAA to double A. And he says he's supposed to be a mentor there. And he the coach basically told him, you need to change your mindset. And we're going to do this together. And he believed that optimism was cheerleading. He's like, I can't do this bullshit. It's garbage. It's lies. It'll help you for one day. He's like, no. And what he did was he transformed the idea of talking to the guy himself that he is deserves to be there. He is going to hit that home run. He is going to do it. And he started changing. And guess what? Did he, At the did end he of climb the day, back to the MLB? He climbed back oh. with with one of the biggest moments of his life, and uh, you know it. It's just a, it's truly it's true it's truthful that if you do change your mindset in life, a lot of good stuff comes your way, and a lot of bad stuff will come your way. But it's the way that you react to that bad stuff that's going to excel you. Fuck, that's no joke. For the record, I'm still on the Walmart book, so you've you've done like two three books since Les. I saw you reading the other day. Exactly. I wanted to actually get in on there and say that you guys inspired me. So the, the the thing that people really say in the world about um, speak less, like kind speak of- Speak less, sp- do yeah, more. Do more, right? And basically you guys started reading and without even saying anything or like pushing me or telling me what to do, I actually ordered three books. Snap, 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 snap. What books did you order? Um. So right now I'm just gonna say the title of the book that I'm reading, yeah. I, I, I wanna, Keep the secret. Keep exactly. Yeah, I like that. Um, so it's fuck perfection, but it's not. It's f. It's spelled differently. But yeah, it's yeah like, but fuck perfection. Fuck perfection. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm a few pages in. I'm not. I'm not like Jake. One, no, no, you no, know, don't worry. Get there, babe. Yeah, but I I started reading it, and basically I brought my books here, and uh, they're more based on design and, and marketing and branding, um, and the, the minds of creatives. So I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm more interested to know and how you felt in those first couple of pages. Okay. 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 Uh, but it's it tough, could be just the book. It. Like maybe no, it's not it's the tough. right book. But on, on another note, I am it's excited tough. to say that last night I started learning um, InDesign, Illustr- sorry, Photoshop. Illustrator. Il- Illustrator or Photoshop? Illustrator. Adobe Adobe Illustrator. Wow. And I officially designed our logo. Like not designed it. Like yeah. I made it. You recreated it so from scratch. That's so hot. I recreated it. It's a good strategy. Okay. I recreated it from scratch, so that's my kind of my new hobby right Snapped. now. And it, and it actually motivated me to see her so much that I actually jumped. I had some extra work that I had to do last night. And you did it. And and I saw her going. She had some music going. I'm like, ooh, I had a second win to actually do it. So thank you, Tits, for that. But but here is what we're going to get into for the show. It's kind of a continuation of last week. Wait, because wait, wait. I got to interrupt you. You didn't talk about our team all starting to read. It's the coolest thing. Like every single person on our team right now, I think at least in our, our marketing and sales teams are actually picking up books and reading them consistently. I see books on their desk and it's, I'm not, I don't say anything about it, but it's the coolest thing to see that there's an activation happening at a grand scale in the company. Listen, the bottom line is I think the key to getting people to read is to have books available at all, at all times. Our offices will be filled with books. So a lot of places try to like enforce libraries in a different zone. You have to integrate the library. The library must be visible yeah. for you to be attracted to it. Um, so a continuation of last show was we talked about entrepreneurs are born or made and we had some interesting questions come in on that. But I, I, I picked one that I think I want to discuss today which is the continuation of, okay, guys, great. This was the question. How do we understand that entrepreneurship is a game that could be taught um, that based on what your guys' distillation is, but we still don't understand 
how do we actually get ideas going? Um, and how do we get into the business? Now, we have another podcast where we talked about this, but I, I actually wanted to take a, a complete left turn and talk about a little bit about what you are, uh, spoke about, Jake, which is before even worrying about an idea, what you need to do is figure out your shit first. So Sam Parr, uh, who's the founder of The Hustle, who I follow on Twitter, said, honestly, I'm not great at a lot of things, but there was one thing I always had, which was confidence. And confidence got me 90% of the way. Um, I think a lot of people that wanna be entrepreneurs out there have to do a little bit more work on these areas before they even get into entrepreneurship. And so let me read this for you and then we're gonna get into the discussion. So basically, before anything, this was written by Brett Goldstein on Twitter, before anything, I think society needs to push themselves a little bit more before they do anything, which is to open their minds. You need to get out there and start creating things, meet new people, get off the beaten path, read classics, read news, read philosophy, psychology, economics, it doesn't fucking matter. Growth comes from exploration and ideas come from the off beaten path. And I was like, oh my God, that is, that is in my opinion, some powerful shit, because I think in order to become an entrepreneur, you need to have a certain level of serendipity that's involved. You need to put yourself on collision courses and you need to have confidence. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Confidence, I think, is super important because you got to know what you're good at too. You know, I, 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 I know we discussed that you, you start to find what you're good at and you get the groove and then you, you, you triple down on that and that's where the real magic happens. But I think you still need to have an idea of what you're good at and to understand that and be confident in that characteristic or that trait. For me, like you guys just said at the beginning of this podcast, just be yourself. That was one of the things you guys just said again and that was the original job offer at the beginning and that was what I was good as when I be myself I'm in my I'm shining bright right and you're confident as fuck and I'm confident but it took me a long time to realize that and actually buy into it and actually allow it into my system right so I think that as an entrepreneur you if you don't have that and you don't understand yourself it's going to be very hard to succeed in whatever you're doing because you're going to doubt yourself you're going to do these things and doubt is okay to a certain extent but if you're always doubting and victimizing yourself you're not going to jump anywhere you're not going to get anywhere and you might not be doing the same thing the problem is I found someone, I was having a conversation with them and they're like, yeah, I might just get into this business. This is the other day and I was listening. I didn't interrupt because I, 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 it was their time to shine and they were talking, yeah, there's this business, but there's that business. There's this one. I, I kind of like it. I might do it because there's an opportunity available. I don't like that. I really don't like that because again, they're not giving themselves the chance to actually do what they want to do. Yep. They're just doing for the sake of doing. And that's where you run into trouble. Worst place to be, by the way. So I, I, I actually that. So I agree to disagree because Ooh. basically, um, basically, I think that sometimes you don't know exactly what you want to do, and dabbling is better than doing nothing. So you always say, Nick, that famous quote, which is, um, uh, no, astro- who says it? Um, oh no, what they teach in pilot school. What they teach at pilot school. Worst decision to make is, is to no make- decision at all. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think that if somebody's actively trying to do something, they might not know exactly what it is. It's okay to be confused it's okay to be you know to talk about a lot of things but actually go and try them to know if you want to do it or pivot from it um but i did want to say that you know early on again this is something nick uh taught me which was early on in our relationship why are you stroking me today on the show <laughs> sometimes you deserve to be stroked no, i don't, I, don't, I don't stroke, stroke you often yeah, babe. i'm turned <laughs> off a bit by i don't this. but it's the truth okay, why i'm gonna go. give credit where credit is okay uh, so 
basically early on in our relationship, before we were partners, before we were married, when we were just hang- roommates and friends, um, you told to me, you told me that you note down any like not ideas, but like areas where you feel that there can be like improvements. I still do. Yeah. Pain points. I write down pain points. Yes. Small or big doesn't matter. So pain points. And I remember you told me that like, Les, just start a notebook and write your pain points. And I ha- realize I have a lot of pain points. Like there's a lot of things that I like that I do every day in hobbies or interacting with friends or experiences. And there's pain points. Like I experience it all the time with hotels. I, I don't understand why they don't have certain things the way they should be. And so it's like one day, hopefully I could build the hotel that I, I see perfect, right? And so these pain points are, I think, really key. Instead of like trying to generate ideas, just live your life create serendipity, go out and try new things, be confident who you are. But more than that, write on the things that you think can be improved or, or, and you should basically, you, you might, you probably will get inspired from those pain points. So I still think we're at a point though, where we're talking about, yeah, that's all fine and dandy. What we're talking about, if you have the confidence and if you have that, you know, that well, if you mm, don't, that don't push. do it. No, but, but this <laughs> but you I, could find it. I think you can learn it. And that's what's super interesting. And also to Jake's point, I think what you were talking about in your story really does come down to what you were saying, Les, which is um, it seemed like that person was looking at a lot of options and not really focusing on no execution and, and nothing that that drove, you know, some fire in him. But a lot of people are like, oh, when we go and do entrepreneurship, there's so much pressure, there's all that. So why don't we just remove all that? Let's stop even talking about entrepreneurship. I challenge you, if you're listening to this, to go off the beaten path because you're going to start hearing noise. That's the first step is start doing shit Mm. that your inner circle and family would never think you to do. And start to see what happens. Like, don't even start a business. Like, just go do something completely that is out of the norm where you are like, oh my God, if I go do this, my my parents are going to think of me differently. My this is, my friends are going to be like, why would you do that? That's not your character. And start to see how you handle criticism because that criticism is is a key component of when you go off. Jake, I see you're, you're nodding over there. Did I hit a chord with you? No, I agree, man. Like that's that's tight. That's tight. Like, yo, you're if you don't get out of your bubble, man. Like, that's it. Oh, getting out of your bubble. You got. That's the hardest part, by the way. It's the hardest part to accept yourself to be okay with getting out of the bubble and whatever is gonna happen is gonna happen. You know, you could lose people by getting out of the bubble. It doesn't have to do with business, right? No. You said it could be going to meet a new friend, a new it, person that's completely opposite. We're heading to 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 Los Angeles because you want to head there, it, and that's so out of your routine. People need to try things. I think that's your right, the first step the to making greatness because you build the first step. Exactly. And it's not always about the right decision, you know, but it's about taking the risk. And like, I mean, you know, our friend Vic, she's going to Kuwait and, you know, she's been getting a lot of controversy around it. Like, why are you going there? What are you doing there? Noise. And it's like, it me- maybe it's not the right decision. Correct. But it doesn't matter. She's stepping out. Something will spark from going there or not, but she is taking the risk. She's taking, she's building herself opportunity. But you nailed it. You fucking nailed it. Because the point I'm trying to make is that if it doesn't work out, that's when you find out who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Is you have to come back. And it's a it's an easy way to not necessarily lose money because when you start a business, there's money involved. But if you make a decision and it didn't work out the way you thought, now it's where you're going to start building your confidence because 
you have to have the guts to then go do it again. Yeah. And, and you, you may make the wrong decision again. And I think eventually over time, you you start building a gut feeling and um, then you can really start relying on your gut. So when it comes down to it, I think we're all in pretty agreement. And this sums up what he said, which is the first step to even getting in the mindset of being prepared for entrepreneurship <laughs> is to just start fucking doing stuff that is out of your comfort zone and build your grit, build your confidence, build your ability to handle the noise of everybody around you. And there's many ways to do that uh, based on what Jake and Les just said and even what was on this on this piece. And that moves on to, okay, great. So another question was, like, how do you get the first million dollars? And so I'm like, wow, uh, I actually think getting your first million revenue is a lot easier than people think it is. Would you agree with that? Yes, but it's scary. It's a yeah. scary number. Yeah, yeah it's because horribly scary, like, man. When we first launched, right, our North Star was $250,000. And I remember like thinking in my head, like, how the fuck are we going to sell? $250,000 worth of bars you, you sure as hell didn't make year. it seem like that <laughs> it completely scammed me then she, yeah, I know she was <laughs> you scammer she was the one who literally was looking at us like we were fucking yeah. crazy and yeah, being like guys we're gonna blow through this okay but confidence no but babe I remember you at the, at, the, at the wall in the condo we had this drawing board while we put numbers and goals or north stars we should do that again and you were so confident you were number two confident Nick you, you were like up there but you were like a bit you, you, very you, hesitant you didn't show me that much strength. and I was just in there like literally what you're saying like then I this isn't happening two dollars not three dollars ninety nine cent chocolate bars two hundred fifty thousand how the hell are we doing that there's no chance <laughs> now, then, then, then a million you're talking about a million hello a hundred thousand scary can I let you guys in on a little secret yeah shoot there's a lot of things that I am scared about like in the past that I have been scared about in the past two years that I just don't say anything about and I just come out with the confidence could you can you spit one example of yeah, yeah. basically that we both don't know <laughs> yeah. I recently actually told Nick this and he was like Were rattled I, I can't even remember now so and she has to remind me basically this is the first time I'm hearing this by the way last year a year and a half before we decided to build the plant Nick looks at me and says we could manage at 940 Rue Bajan he's like why should we go and spend right, all this right, money right 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 build a plant and and create a, a fully automated ma machine line and he's like i don't think it's the right move i think that we should maximize the space current capacity uh, the current capacity i'm literally on the inside <laughs> like i'm i'm shitting myself i'm like yo i i don't i agree <laughs> I was kind of thinking it too. It's like, why even you move? You know? Yeah. No, I'm but like, I didn't know. I, I put confidence in you guys, so could, I didn't care. Yeah, no, that's what I think. Can I put a little bit of pre sauce to this yeah, story? Yeah. So when I'm running the numbers, okay, and I'm looking at it, I think when I looked at the facility, it was pretty clear that we would be able to last in that facility like another good six months. There was a good six months at that least. we could have lasted in before encroaching we on wouldn't this. have lasted no we wouldn't have that is the right call you're out, she made the right call you took you took an you had an answer and you went with your gut uh, and your gut told you to take the to risk and you took risk for the whole company <laughs> i went my gut but i was scared shitless but you didn't show and it. i didn't show it to you guys until a year no later idea. until the plant was done and it was the right move but i was like i would speak to my friends about it privately and i would say like the pressure is high because okay, that's I, bad yeah yeah so I other was, people knew that's really bad <laughs> but i don't even I, know how you dealt with that pressure no, to but I, need, I need to i need to hear something out here because it's important it's very important that we brought this up so you made a decision financially it might not have been the right decision at the moment it might have not been the right decision but in the end 
how much longer did we have from mental capacity as a team to get through this? I think the company would have closed. Yeah, me too. So Even if you waited two, three months, I think two months, we were gone. No, the right decision was what we actually did. Uh, it might Even have on not timing. Looked, it Even might, on timing. It might have not looked right on paper, guys. Which is an important lesson. Exactly. That's an important lesson that as an entrepreneur, sometimes you got to make decisions and you got to make decisions based on the future. And even though they're really fucking scary and there's a lot of pressure, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You got to take that risk because at the end of the day, we couldn't last in that facility. And it took us, It, it we're basically... We got here just in time. Just in time. Like, <laughs> just in no, time. No, but by the time we learn these machines... It will literally be just in time. We're going to have to be... Yeah, exactly. It's going to be an explosion. This is a brilliant, uh, wow. this is a brilliant learning. It's something I dealt with prior to this and I think that's what allowed me to really lean into it is I can I can't tell you how much you need to listen to this excel sheets could be the death of you as an entrepreneur they could you can model out everything until the wazoo's really everything and I'm and I'm not here saying that you shouldn't model but modeling should be directional only it should be one data point not the oh the model says this, so this is what we're doing. It's one data point to sit at a table with your partners or yourself if you don't have and use it to make a decision because you're absolutely right. Les sat there, <laughs> basically looked at Jake and I and said, we're doing this. And we did it way earlier than we what than, than the data said. But the data in said. fact, we're here in the future talking about the past and we can confirm to you. We're still here. That we we made it just by a smidgen. No, but guys, I don't think you understand like how. And this is for anybody listening, right? Like, you have to instill confidence. And I speak about it all the time. We had just um, brought on three new people to join our team, and part of my onboarding speech was you need to have confidence because at the end of the day, inside I was scared and I was nervous and I felt the the pressure. But I knew that if I showed that to you guys it would be even worse. So I had to be composed, be confident, make moves, and and you guys, and that was it, right? Like if you guys knew I was insecure, we probably wouldn't be here today. Well, I would agree with that. Because you would be like, Les, if, some, if something's telling you no, don't let's not do here, it, right? Here's another fucked up yeah. thing. I don't think if you guys, because now you're bringing me down memory lane on this <laughs> thing. Do you guys remember when we had to scratch a check for 600,000? And we didn't have sign off by Investment in Quebec. So I, yes. IQ, no, 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 guys, come on. <laughs> no. It's too crazy. IQ, no, it, no. I could puke. No, wait, we got it. The, the audience needs to be brought in on this, okay, Scott. before we get enjoyment. So Les shows up in my office one day. She's like, um, if we don't put in the down payments for the machines, like now, uh, we're not going to get them in time and, and, and it won't match our move to the new facility, everything will get fucked up. Uh, okay, Les. So I go to her, I say, okay, Les, um, that's great, but I need IQ who's funding the $2.8 million for this plant to like tell us that they're giving us money, right? Like we have no <laughs> guarantees. And then she looks at me, she's like, yeah, no, that's that's what I'm trying to tell you is that we, we have to do the checks regardless of that. Oh, that's bad. And I'm, and I'm like, oh my God. So I get on the phone with IQ and I'm like, guys, Speed we up. need we need we need uh, uh, we need signatures here, and he's like, "Man, it's gonna be like another three four weeks," and and this is where entrepreneurship comes down to play, and this is why you have to build grit and confidence before you get in the ring. We sat there, us three, and decided we we scratched that check. 
we wrote a $600,000 check. We emptied the bank account. Um, knowing that when we thought about the odds of IQ saying no based on where we were at, they were very low. And it was a risk that was worth taking at yeah. that point in time. And the you know the worst case scenario is we were going to have to go dilute ourselves and raise more money. And we felt that that was a reasonable risk to take. So yeah, so we wrote that fucking check without having any guarantees on the plan. Wow. You got to be able to make decisions on, on the, the go fly. on the fly as an with entrepreneur. Confidence. Yeah, you exactly. And you got to be okay with uh, the outcomes. Yeah. Either way, either way, you either go. way. And and let me tell you, there's amazing performance uh, coaches out there, like like psychologists that real. If I if you are, have an issue with confidence, find yourself an athletic psychologist. So yeah. somebody that specializes in athletes that are. To Jake's point, yeah, it's 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 so mental, psychology. athletics. So the first million dollars of revenue, um, for me, is super simple. Is make sure you have product market fit. If yes. you have product market fit, the million will come. If you don't have product market fit, the million won't come fast. And I'm not going to say you should quit, but I am going to say you should strongly reconsider what you're doing. No, I really believe that. Like, I, I, I was having a conversation with uh, other food entrepreneurs the other day and they were asking us, you know, how do you know if you have traction or not? I'm, I said, honestly, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like, if you can't get to a million dollars of revenue within like 16 months, and that's a big max, like you're probably not in the right space. Yeah, it's that's not that's, it's true. I think um, I read a story once about the RX Bars founders. Uh, I think they sold like a ten thousand bars or a thousand bars, and they thought that was product market fit, even though they had a successful outcome. Um, I don't think that was enough. Uh, they enough. still did seven hundred in their first year, though. They, yeah, they, in the end, no, but they, but they, they I remember the guy had a speech with his father or something and said, yeah, "Shut the we, fuck we up, shut the fuck up, yeah, and sell ten thousand or whatever." I think you need more than that, just because maybe ten thousand of your item is something else. But in terms of our chocolate bars, you know, three hundred thousand dollars in sales or that two hundred fifty thousand dollars North Star is not is not the right number in retrospect. I think you're right. A million says enough data at least to know that you could have some sort of real legs running, not walking. And uh, unless you want to grow a business very slowly and have the walking, which is totally fine too, but think about your mindset has to be completely different. Yeah, I think there there is no right way yeah. um, to be an entrepreneur and your North Star is whatever you want it to be, in my opinion. Now, it depends. I was just level. trying to answer the question of the million, you know, dollar, the million yeah. dollars of revenue. Exactly. How do you get that? If we're like, talking exactly about a million dollars in revenue the first year, it's product market fit, point blank. If you want to be an entrepreneur and you're not, you know, you're selling something, you're doing something and you can't put the fire, you don't have product market fit and you have to build it or you have to build the trust of the consumer or spend a lot of money on marketing dollars, it's going to take you a lot longer to instead, like product market fit is when somebody believes they need what you're selling. If you don't have that, you have to convince the person that they need what you're that's selling. Expensive. And that's expensive. It takes a lot longer time. So I think all entrepreneurs are on different paths. But I think for the million dollars in the first year, product market fit and a fire fucking team. Yeah, that is the truth. And and to go back to the point that we are not just saying that $1 million needs to happen in one year no. to be a successful business. Mike Fata, we had on the show, who was the founder of Manitoba Harvest, took him like five years to even get to like, I don't know, half a million and then almost a decade to like get to 5 million, okay? A decade, wow. but he was in an area where he needed to 
educate an entire market on what hemp was because hemp, like nobody had a fucking clue at the time what hemp was even, how do we use this in food? Right. Um, and so he still pulled it off and sold that company not once, but twice, once for a hundred million and once wow. for 450 million. Fuck Mike Shout Prada. out Mike Shout Prada. Out Mike Prada. Um, so yeah, there's absolutely not. But in the first year, don't worry about anything but product market fit. If you have that, it, it really solves everything. I think before you go on to the next thing, an important story about entrepreneurship is um, Robert Rosenberg, I think his name's Robert Rosenberg. He was the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts from 63 to 98. Um, he took over his father's business. His father started Dunkin' Donuts. Mm. And he was on fire. He went public and um, the, he hired a great board, you know, very talented people from around the franchising world, the retail world, every type of expertise he had. And he took the share out uh, right off the bat to a high thing. He made it great. And then three years later, you're saying he brought the stock price. Yeah, he brought it. The company was on fire. He tried his own gut feeling on something, which was not the right move. And in, 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 it really wasn't. What Basic, was that? I have curiosity. Basically, they were opening up donut and coffee shops, right? That was their mandate. They, they stopped doing other catering businesses, their other businesses. But what they did do is what he decided to do. He's like, why don't we just get into the franchising business, like licensing and franchising, not their Dunkin' Donuts, but their uh, like these other businesses. Buy one here, buy one there. He thought it was a great opportunity. He took a gut on it. He invested time and money. His team went into invest into different franchises is not the Duncan franchise. Got it. And the shares, they went into a $1.7 million dollar loss in 1973. And the board was livid with him and said, you got to get out. You got to leave. We can't have this. We need a new team. You, what you did was wrong. He knew what he did was wrong. This is where the entrepreneurship came in. He said to them, he knew they never had, they hadn't, they hadn't had a loss in five years. $1.7 million, the shares dropped under $2 under the IPO price. People were livid. They wanted him out. And he said, I have a gut feeling on what I'm doing right now. Give me till next quarter to prove myself. Let this just see it through. And if we can't see this through, then it won't work. But I believe he went to bat, he took a shot, and it fucking worked. And he hit it through, and he stayed till 1998. What's important about that is he was confident. He had the confidence to go to the board. The board was absolutely, and they had the right to vote him out, by the way. The, the, when, I'm, when you have a board that way, they could vote you out, right? Yep. And they wanted him out and his team because they made a bad decision. They made one bad decision, but he came to bat with confidence in that boardroom. He said he didn't know if he was leaving that boardroom either as the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts or out of Dunkin' Donuts that his father started. And guess what? The team said, we're going to give it to you. We're going to give you the chance. And he fucking swung. And the swung <laughs> and, and guess what? Dunkin' Donuts now is worth what? $7 billion? Yeah, he, I 6.5 mean, billion? It went on a tear of a lifetime because I didn't know that story. Like they were... Up until the 2000, and then they had their restructuring. Like, yeah. Dunkin' Donuts was on a tear. The, they were the hottest franchise brand. You guys don't realize how hard it is to make a donut. I don't think you guys realize. Donut, there was oh, artists. Babe, we, we realize. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's an art. You, they tried to bring in robots. They tried to do the thing. It didn't work. For, Dunkin' Donuts was all about quality. Their coffee is phenomenal, and... They their donuts are specifically made. They're like not like Tim Hortons. They're specifically made, and he does shout out Tim Hortons in the book, by the way. <laughs> um, but Robert Rosenberg is a fucking legend entrepreneur. He went through the craziest things, family business, and he, I just see midday squares a lot from this guy. He took the company public within five years of being there. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it's just so hot. Like I, I love it. I love it. Confidence. Yeah, it, it is all about confidence. Um, on a final note, I do want to bring up this piece, which is, this comes out of the Y Combinator, uh, y Combinator Blitz Scaling course. So in, in their opinion, there is five stages to a business. There is the family, the tiny close-knit community, um, where you're entirely all focused around either 
taking something that has product market fit and growing it a little bit further or finding product market fit. Then there's the tribe, which is when you enter, usually at this point in time, there's probably a legal corporation, a full team that's launching the product and, and engaging with customers. Then there's in the, the village, which is where you're hiring your first internal lawyers, HR teams, real accounting, all of that stuff. And then the city, which is where you're going from like, you know, basically this small knit office to potentially many offices in different countries with many different VPs leading the team to finally the nation, which is a global company, essentially multiple companies within one company. Where do you think we are as as a company in this trajectory? trajectory? And then, you know, some some of those growing pains that we've had to go into one of those. You lost me a little bit. And so the, <laughs> I need so, to read all that. Yeah, so we got the family, the tribe, the village, the city, or the nation. I think we're at the tribe village. or the family. I think I we're in the village. tribe going into the village. I think we've entered into the village because we're about to step foot into the, the biggest market in, in the world um, for our product. And, and we're going in there with, with our army. We're going in there attacking and not like not not scared. We're going in with full confidence. And that could allow us to get to the city level, I believe, just because... Um, obviously not every toolbox in our thing is fixed and ready to go. But, but I do have immense confidence going into the U.S. Yeah. I don't know why. Me too. I, I, think we all, I think we all do. First of all, we had a, first of all shout out to our, our broker there. Come yeah. on. They're, they, they're incredible. We had a great meeting with them to, to kick it off. Greenspoon. Shout Bri- out Greenspoon. Brian's a legend in there. Brian, I hope you're listening because you're an absolute gem. We all talked about He's you He's one after. of our reps at Greenspoon. And Kyrie is just awesome. But anyways. I, I'm excited to see the U.S. I, I'm really excited for us to get into the U.S. But I, I do think. Here we go. Pessimism. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do think it's going to be a a slow launch. I think that we're going to get in, but I think that it's going to take some time to feel everything out. And then I think it's going to be explosion. In my head, we're like, we're going in there and (laughs) fucking shit up day one. That's where I'm at. What do you think so different to end the show of what, like, what's the real, if you can leave our audience with one thing of what it feels like to leave that family stage of a business, what's the major change? I think it's scary at the beginning because, you know, I think, Early on with you guys, I actually spoke to Jim about this one-on-one, um, which was basically when we were kind of moving into more structure, I felt a bit of resilience from you and Jake. And Resilience? Yeah. Uh, no, resistance. Resistance. Excuse yeah, me. it didn't yeah. make sense. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes I, I do that. I like it though. So I felt resistance from you guys. And basically Jim's like, just let it. And, and Jay actually, shout out Jay Sider too, which is like, let it be. Don't use kind of structural wording. Don't talk about corporate or, or you know, whatever, like systems. Oh, and, I hate corporate. Right. No, and we're never going to be corporate. But basically I was bringing up systems and ways. And I remember you guys were really, really pushing back on that, <laughs> both of you. And um, so I think it was scary at the beginning because it was like no one really wanted to change. Everyone liked just doing things like all over the place, like, you know, like I remember it took us a long time actually as a company to get on base camp. We used to just like scream from door to door. Um, and I think we've come a long way and it's pretty impressive to see how everybody's taken on structure and 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 different like systems, right? And without it being corporate. And so now it feels amazing, but it was definitely a scary transition. Jake, I know you have deep feelings about corporate corporate culture. Yeah, but I, I, I've come to think differently about them um, over the past couple of months, I would say, actually. Um, speaking with coaches, actually, the two coaches you just named, they've helped me a lot with that, too. And just, just understanding that corporate is okay, uh, perceived corporate is not. And that's a difference. You know, we could be corporate here with systems that are actually fun and, 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 and helping us grow. But you got to understand that you can't let that that ugly corporate come in. And the ugly corporate you could keep out. 
there is corporate and there's ugly corporate. We kept corporate here, and I think we did a great job as leaders, to be honest with you, and we're still going to do a great, a greater job as time goes on to keep that corporate family structure, not ugly corporate structure. And, you know, like I said, today I'm going to fire up a, a, a Fortune 500 company, um, and I was told the spirits are very, very low. Our spirits ain't low here. We had a rough, we had a rough couple of months. Now we're on. We're on I would say the spirits months. are high. Yeah. What the hell is going on here? But, <laughs> but we're in a corporate. No, but Nick did say that this morning on our call is yeah. the one place I'm going to lately. He said. It's hot. No, he goes showing up to MDS today. There's actually the least amount of negativity that's ever been from anywhere that I've been. Uh, no, with whether it's friends, it's a family. Safe zone. It, it is like a, a safe zone. zone, and I think that w- that's due to the way we've brought that culture and culture. I know culture is a buzzword today's world and it, you hear it all the time, company culture. But blah, it blah, is blah. real. It's real and people don't take it real. They always just want to say, oh, just because you're having a fun lunch means you have company culture. Yeah, That's or you have false. a ping pong table. Yeah, I see we have a ping pong table. No, but we, we don't even use we it. We don't even use it. But Nick used to use it. What about? No, but or TV or Xbox or anything like that. But we, we, we have a culture where, I don't know, I come here just like you do, I think, both of you guys. And if I get a smile the second I walk, and I used to not feel that way, by the way. And during that time that you're discussing about the culture that we give you resistance, I was giving resistance because I didn't feel good about it. Yeah. So I would come here and not be happy, actually. hundred percent. And it's changed. And and you gotta you gotta hear the other person out. And again, trusting partners is a big thing. We talked about it in one of the earlier episodes. I trusted that the structure that you were talking about to give it its chance to let it come through was going to be in our own way. It's going to be in our way. And guess what? It turned into our own way. I completely agree. And again, I think the theme of the show is fucking confidence. One of the things that excites me most about what we get to do is potentially show the world that corporate structure could still be there, but you can still fucking rock it so hard. And I am so excited to go on to be a... Uh, to change the way public companies are perceived, to to let people know that you don't you don't need to just because you show up in a suit doesn't make you more intelligent or more capable of being a leader. Uh, just because you have tattoos doesn't mean you can't do it. Just because you swear, like fuck all that. Amen. Oh, I just want to get to the top, and I want to continue to be us at the top. No, but I love that, Nick, and I think that's so powerful because. Like even when Natalia, our controller, came here, right? And she said the other day, we just found out, yeah. oh, when I showed up, it was like just a bunch of kids. It looks like a bunch of kids here. <laughs> and she's like, oh, there's no way they built a plant or like they're probably manufacturing. There's probably shit. It's probably horrible. <laughs> and then she came and she was blown away because people think, oh, what's going on at Midday Squares? It look like they're always having fun. Yo, don't be fucking fooled. <laughs> we might wear hoodies and have tattoos and pump and do dancing, but we are fucking ready to fucking running rock. a multi-million dollar business. <laughs> you just no, no, before you, yeah. you can't end it on this. You have to end it on this. She's been instilling in the past couple of months with me about different topics, not about business. This exact saying. She's Who's like she? you, by the way. <laughs> um, no, because I don't think about it enough, and I think it's important entrepreneurs to take a second back to remember this. Is when I when I'm acting a certain way, maybe I feel like it's a babyish a little bit, or like you know I'm doing a babyish move, like not a bold enough move. You always remind me. You're like, do you know you're running a, a multi million dollar business? And I'm like, no, I don't. I it, it, I forget like because I, 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 it's I feel like it's a playground here that we're having fun, but then I forget that there's actually a revenue source and there's actually bars being sold and that we're and actually, there's a board and there's, yeah, there's investors so, and so there's I people looking. Forget about yeah. it. And then it kind of checks me actually. It, it puts me back in check. And like you said, like people see us dancing, people see us dressed the way we are people see us crying people see us swearing people see us this that but meanwhile i don't know about you guys but you know we're talking to one of the great some of the greatest people in the world and in our industry and in other industries in the media industry in the food industry and they're taking us seriously too on that fucking note 
if you can't get fired up after that Jake Finale, no. then I don't know what I don't know what to do to get you fired up. Confidence is everything. I think if there's one takeaway, takeaway that if you just lead with confidence, you'll be able to pretty much accomplish anything. Everybody go into the weekend. Enjoy. Three, two, one. Ole, 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 ole. Ole, ole. Ole, 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 ole. Ole, ole. Midday Squares Uncensored. That's a wrap. See you next week.